Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. I just want to give you guys a heads up that this weekend I got a flu, a cold, something like that. So if it sounds awkward at all, or there's a pause or two, it's just dealing with, uh, dealing with a sore throat and swallowing is not fun. But besides that, let's get started. So last time we covered a couple battles that ended with the Swedes being defeated and their image dented. It wasn't as big a defeat as, say, Breitenfeld was for the Imperials, but it definitely hurt the image of the Swedes as an unstoppable force. So Gustavus, knowing he made a mistake based on the previous battle, knew that Wallenstein was now a threat to an important ally and his lines of communication to the Balkans. Gustavus, against Oxenstierna's advice, rushed north with 4,000 cavalry, traveling 650 kilometers or around 400 miles in 17 days, which is a short time for such a long distance, and that would exhaust any cavalry unit. The Saxons at this time were weakened, as the majority of their forces were located in Silesia, so Johann George had around 4,000 men. Leipzig had surrendered to the Imperials due to the situation, and Johann George actually executed the commander that surrendered, forcing his widow to pay for the court-martial because of his anger at the situation. Which is a bit brutal and probably unnecessary, but tempers run high in war. Not excusing it, but I can see that being an explanation why. With the Catholics, Pappenheim joined forces with Wallenstein on November 7th, though he didn't stay with him for too long. The Saxons retreated to Torgau, and Gustavus took shelter at Erfurt as the cold winter set in. The Catholics also dispersed their troops, Wallenstein sending out 2,500 men to keep an eye on Torgau and the Saxons. Pappenheim was restless and asked to be allowed to head to Westphalia to deal with the Swedes that were attacking his garrisons. Wallenstein, who was suffering from gout, did not have the energy to argue with him and allowed Pappenheim to take around 5,800 troops. Another commander was summoned to replace him, but that would take a while for him to arrive. Once Gustavus reorganized a new army and got back on the move, he traveled south down the Saal River, hoping to force a battle like Breitenfeld to boost his reputation and army morale, which had been hurt by Altvest. Gustavus was actually delayed for four hours by 500 dragoons and Croat cavalry on November 15th, which blocked him at the marshy terrain east of Westenfels, essentially keeping a pitched battle from happening that day. So Gustavus settled into the camp, resting for the night for the battle that was to come. Wallenstein, who had been retreating, stopped at Lutzen, having only around 8,550 infantry, 3,800 cavalry, and 20 guns. On his right, he was protected by the marshy Mulgraben stream, and said stream crossed the Westenfell Leipzig Highway at Lutzen, which was the smallest town of 300 houses and an old castle. His knowledge of the terrain had Wallenstein conclude Gustavus wouldn't assault him from the front, so he drew up his forces just northeast of the town, parallel to the roads, in preparation for Gustavus trying to outflank him. Units were guided in the night to keep watch and secure the flanks of the army in case of a surprise attack. Other units were guided into position in preparation for the upcoming battle. Thirteen guns were placed on Windmill Hill, just north of the town. Half the cavalry was deployed behind the infantry, while the rest covered the flanks. The infantry was drawn up in two lines, with seven guns on with seven artillery guns on either side of their flanks, and several hundred musketeers on ditches. Additionally, Croat forces would act as a screen to partially make it appear Wallenstein had a bigger army than he actually had. With Gustavus, he did not actually receive any Saxon aid, but he still had around 13,000 infantry, 6,800 cavalry, and 20 guns, so he was confident, and he did outnumber Wallenstein, even if he didn't know at the time. His army swung east from Mulgraben, then north from Flossgraben, deploying in front of and around Gustavus by 10 a.m., with heavy fog in the area. By 11 a.m. on November 16th, the fog had lifted, and Gustavus began to advance towards the Imperial lines, infantry in the center and cavalry on the flanks. The best infantry and gunners were placed in the front line, and Gustavus took personal command of the cavalry on the right flank, the Swedish right. Just imagine the Swedish facing, and it's the Swedish right hand. 
The battle began with Swedish troops quickly scattering the screen of Croat troops, attempting to chase them. The Gustavus' cavalry was delayed by the musketeers in the ditches. Despite the pain from gout, Wallenstein actually rode out in battle on a horse, energetically leading his men. Lutzen was also set on fire to stop the Swedes from attacking his flank, though the smoke and fire from that blocked the sight of both Imperials and the Swedes as the wind shifted the direction where the smoke was going throughout the battle, which left that whole side confused and a mess. The Swedish left flank was unable to take Lutzen or Windmill Hill, so the main blow had to come from the Swedish cavalry on the right. Wallenstein was aware of this, so he shifted his cavalry to the Imperial left flank which is the Swedish right. As the battle continued, Pappenheim arrived around the early afternoon with 2,300 cavalry, causing the Croats to rejoin the battle, driving the Swedes back over the road. The Swedish infantry were also driven back, not able to dislodge the Imperial center. Some Germanic troops panicked and fled, causing the Swedish baggage train to do the same. However, the Imperials also had several units break and flee, so cohesion was breaking down on both armies. Pappenheim had also been killed early into his arrival, turning this battle into a smaller-scale individual fight rather than a big, organized mass battle. Gustavus had gotten lost in the chaos of the battle, trying to reorganize his army, and was shot, though it is not known who it was. Some say it was his own troops by accident, and others say it was an Imperial soldier. Either way, his bodyguard tried to lead him to safety, but that just got them caught up in a melee. He was then shot again, this time more fatally by an Imperial officer, though that officer was quickly killed by the Swedish master of horse. Duke Franz Albrecht was burned across the face by said fatal shot, and while trying to defend himself, he couldn't support the king's body, so Gustavus fell to the ground dead. He was forced to abandon the body, which he was never forgiven for. The Swedish commanders, some of them in the know, had to convince the army the king was just injured to keep them from fleeing, and the Swedish left still attempted to fruitlessly attack Lutzen and Windmill Hill. Fighting began to subside by 3 p.m., and despite... Nefausen, a Swedish commander, saying that they should retreat, he was convinced to attack Windmill Hill, which was silenced after two more hours of fighting. The rest of Pappenheim's 3,000 men arrived an hour after that, but by that point, Wallenstein had lost 3,000 men and several senior officers, so he ordered a retreat, leaving behind his artillery and 1,160 wounded men. The Swedes took more casualties, losing around 6,000, and were about to retreat when a captured Imperial told them the Imperial forces had left. This battle is often portrayed as a great Swedish victory by the Protestants and modern academia, but the disparity of casualties, especially with Gustavus among them, challenges that, at least according to me. It certainly was a victory, but I consider it more of a Pyrrhic victory than anything else. Wallenstein's retreat made it look like a victory from any sort of standard procedure, but the battle was a mess overall, as the left was chaotic, the right was just a mess, and there was just a big melee chaotic brawl in the center of the battlefields. And I'd argue Wallenstein was actually the better general in this battle, as he used the terrain and positioning of his men to make up for his lack of numbers, compared to Gustavus, who mostly used his superior numbers in a frontal assault. Not that that isn't viable, or that Gustavus had, like, a ton of options here, but it was still more brute force than trying to think tactically. Wallenstein also didn't find out that Gustavus was dead until nine days later, which he said would have kept him from retreating if he had known that at the time. But the fog of war and all that. He vented his anger at units that retreated and executed 11 men, but he also gave bonuses and rewards to units and officers who showed bravery and skill in the battle, so he wasn't entirely off-put by the battle. The biggest overall impact of this battle was the loss of Gustavus. His death caused this to become a pure victory in my eyes, and with his death, the symbol to unify the Protestant princes was gone. It wasn't the Swedes that was holding the Protestant unification together, it was Gustavus. The Swedish position and policy would change in the face of this loss, as would relations with the Protestants who joined them. Despite all his flaws and focus on the Swedish aspects of empire building, I would say he still represented the best leader of the unified Protestant cause and the best general who'd counter someone like Wallenstein or Tilly. We all know there's issues behind the scenes, but he had enough force or personality and arms to keep people in line and fighting. I have no doubt that after things were settled, if he lived, 
then things would have changed. I have no idea. He was, she should be remembered as a man who started the trend of professional and national armies in Europe after so many years of militias and mercenaries, which would spread further and further. For example, the famous English army during the English Civil War. He also managed to turn Sweden into a European power, being able to fight large empires like the HRE, even if it was divided, and they would stay that way for another 75 years or so? But for now, we will cut that off here. Next week, we will deal with the fallout of his death and the changing political position of the Swedes and the deal with the throne. But I want to thank you guys for listening in and I hope you are enjoying it. Social media links will be in the description box or on the links themselves. You can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder that I have a Patreon and thanks to those who support me. And to review and spread the word and I'll see you guys next time.